cool video. Every time uh, we sing that song that we just, just sang, I, uh, I'm a visual learner and a visual thinker. And uh, I, I just close my eyes and think about what that scene looked like. As Jesus Christ hung on a cross and he gave up his last breath and they took him off the cross and they take him to a tomb. Scripture tells us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were, were there and, and they prepared him. And I can only imagine the weight of defeat that they felt. I can, I can only imagine what, they, what was going through their head. And Scripture doesn't tell us what was going through their head, so this is just my, my thinking. You know, I'm wondering if they're thinking, they're saying, you know, I thought he said he was the Savior. I, th- I thought he said that he was going to defeat death, but, but man, look, he's, he's dead. And then as they prepared him and they put him in the tomb and they rolled the stone there, I can just imagine the sound of that. And as that stone fell in place and, and, and it became very difficult to move, I can just hear the, 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 the clicking of that stone and the sound of utter defeat. And then a couple of days later, I can also imagine the sound when the stone was rolled away and Christ stepped out of the grave I can only imagine the fear, the, the, the victory and the triumph that they felt as Jesus looked at them and said, Guys, it's me. I told you I would win. And now today we live in that victory because Christ defeated death and He defeated the grave. And, and we have the promise, for all who trust Him, we have the promise that He has given us eternal life. Y'all, that is an incredible victory. Thank you, band and singers. Praise team. Thank you all so much. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful song. You know, um, last week we talked about um, invest wisely. So if, if, you're, if you're new or maybe this is your first Sunday with us in a few Sundays, we're in a series called Today Matters. And, and what we're looking at is the value of today because we don't have yesterday. That's gone. And tomorrow's not promised to us. So what is the value of today? And we need to make the most of it. John Wooden, the the famous basketball coach of UCLA, carried a card in his pocket and he was willing to show it to anyone who would ask that said, make today a masterpiece. So what do you and I need to do to make today a masterpiece? And last week we said that, that we need to invest wisely, invest in our own spiritual walk and invest in the walk of others. And I want to tell you today that as you leave, we have a gift here for every single person. We want to give you a gift. Uh, if, 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 you're, if you know how to read, we want to give you a gift. If you don't know how to read, we want to give you a gift and get someone to read it to you. Parents, I want, to give, I want you to do this. If you have children, please take time to read this to them. It will take about five minutes a day. But it's a 30-day devotional leading up to Christmas. And, and we want you to invest, invest in your spiritual walk, invest in your family's spiritual walk. So as you leave, we have a copy of this book for every person here today, and, and we want you to enjoy that. Uh, I want to tell you the true story of two families. Uh, and and the, the thing about these families, it's a true story. And these families, their, their demographic is absolutely identical, okay? The two families... They work for the same company. They make the same salary outside of performance bonuses. 
okay? Their family life is identical. They both are married. They both have two children. And in both cases, the older child is the daughter. The younger, the younger one is the son. They do the exact same line of work. I've already said they're in the same company. Y'all, th- this is absolutely true. One person, though, is absolutely miserable. This, this is really interesting to me. This one person, no, he, he's miserable. He, he looks at his workers as property, as, as if they owe him something. The very good salary that he makes, he, he is totally uh, selfish about it. He holds on to his money so tight that his knuckles are white. Anytime he buys something new, it is for him and him alone until he's tired of using it, and then he lets other people use it. This person, if he bought a brand new computer, he, he, it would be all his, and, and his kids couldn't use it, his co-workers couldn't use it because they may mess it up. And then finally when he was tired of that and he would go on to the next thing, he might hand it down to his kids. And he's absolutely miserable. On the other hand, Another person who works in that same company, making the same money with the same demographic, the only difference is performance bonuses. They make a salary that most of America don't see in a couple of years. He is to, he, he's a joy to be around. In fact, if you talk to his workers, they say, hey, we love working for this guy. He's a neat guy. His family loves him because he's so generous to them. And if he buys something, it's for everybody. A couple of years ago, I'm going to chase a little rabbit here real quick. Uh, a couple of years ago, my father-in-law bought a brand new car. Now, in the Herb household, you watch your cars, okay? And, and you're careful about them. I'm saying that very kindly, okay? My father-in-law bought a brand new car. He had it for a day, and he said, Hey, Craig, Roberta, y'all going on vacation? Here, just take my car. And I'm scratching my head, I'm like, no, we, we don't do that. We don't do that. He let us just drive, drive his brand spanking new car that was one day old. We put the first 3,000 miles on it. That's the kind of person, this other person that I'm describing, that's how he is. You could call him up and say, hey, I, I need to borrow your car or, or something. Oh, sure, okay, here, I'll bring it to you. He is a joy to be around. His family's crazy about him. Now, these two people, they work for the same company, they make the same salary, they have everything the same demographic. What is the difference? Why is one, nobody in this room would want to be around, and the other one, everybody in this room would want to be around? What's the difference? If you knew these people, you'd be able to put your finger on it without even thinking about it. It's, the, it's their view of what God has done for them. The one that nobody wants to be around is completely selfish. And, and, you know, what, like I said, what, what's his is his, and, and that's all there is to it. When he's tired of it, then he'll share. The other person, on the other hand, is one of the most generous people you will ever in your entire life meet. And if he knows you have a need, he's going to take care of your need. And he may not even let you know that he took care of it. The difference is the way they look at how God has blessed them. Today, we're, we're, we're going to continue our series of Today Matters. And, and, and I want to get to the main point here after we do the scripture and everything. But, but let's t- Today Matters. And so we're going to look at what Paul says about generosity. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as you turn there, 
The only way that we can understand 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is we have to consider 2 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and some of the underlying story that builds up to chapter 9. So as you're turning to chapter 9, I want to share with you some of the the buildup. There's two churches that are mentioned here, or two groups of believers. The one is the Macedonian Christians. And then the other one is the church at Corinth. Paul is writing this letter. This is his second letter to the church at Corinth. And as he's writing them this letter, we, we, you'll see, we'll pick up here in just a second. But the, the church at Corinth has recognized that there is a need with the Macedonian Christians. Okay, And the church at Corinth said, okay, well, we will help meet that need. In fact, we're going to generously give you an offering. And then we don't know what happened, but, but, but something kind of happened, and, and maybe the church at Corinth there was kind of tapping the brakes. I don't, I don't know what was going on. Uh, one of the commentaries said that there was false teachers that were in the area that, that were teaching that, no, you don't have to give, and no, you don't need to give. But there's a feeling that they're like tapping the brakes, saying, hold on. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you've got to excel in this. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read that verse to you in just a second, but, but he's saying you're excelling in so many different things. Don't tap the brakes here. Let me read that verse to you real quick. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Now as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, Excel also in this grace. In other words, you're doing so good in everything. Don't back off of what you promised these Macedonian Christians. Excel in it. And then that brings us to chapter 9. And this is where he's going to give them some instructions and some coaching. And y'all, this applies to us so much today. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 first. Now concerning the ministry to the saints... It is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I brag about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I sent the brothers, so so our boasting about you in in the matter would not prove empty, and so so that you would be prepared just as I said. For if any Macedonians come with me, and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be embarrassed in that situation. Therefore, I consider it necessary to urge you, urge the brothers to go ahead to you and to arrange in advance the generous gift you promise so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. So they've made this promise. And Paul says, look, for me to write to you is totally unnecessary. I love the, ver- the, the word that the, the New American Standard says, it's superfluous. Superfluous, especially like in your, if you're writing, okay? If you're writing a paper and you say that you, that you are, 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 are bouncing a really big red ball. The really big in professional writing would be considered superfluous. So you just, you, you don't even need to say it. Paul is saying here, he's saying, it's unnecessary for me to tell this to you. You, you know it. You've made the promise. And, and you're going to carry on this promise, and I'm going to send the brothers to you. Now, when he mentions the brothers, we know from chapter 8 that the brothers are Titus and two unnamed brothers. So he's sending these people to him, 
kind of, in a sense, to hold them accountable, but also to have them prepared so that when the Macedonians come, if they get to come with Paul, or when Paul comes, that they're ready to give this offering. And then he says something that you and I need to be able to relate to. He says that, that if the Macedonians come and they find you not prepared, us, being Paul, and let alone you, we'll be embarrassed. So let's have the gift ready. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so, I shared uh, about a school district in, in Texas that built a huge building. Okay, And in this city, if you go to the city, you'll go and there's this giant school building that can't be used. And if you live in that city, I would imagine that it would be embarrassing. Because as you're showing your friends around town, you know, there's where I go to church, there's where we play golf, there's where we do this. But what about that big building? Oh, I'm sorry. That big building is a $60 million building that we can't use. That would be embarrassing. I put myself in, in, in the, the shoes of those, the school administrators. Man, that would be terribly embarrassing. Well, we've got this, but we can't use it. Paul is saying to, to, the, to the church there at Corinth, he's saying, look, don't, don't be embarrassed. Have this ready. Be ready. And by the way, as you're ready, then it looks like you were prepared and you weren't extorted. We didn't, we didn't trick you into giving this money. You were completely prepared. Now, what the Macedonians were going through, and, and the, the reason why they needed this ministry, was they were standing for the faith. And probably there in their town, those who were standing up for the faith and those who were being a part of the church were being shunned at the public market. And it was having, uh, it was having a bad effect on them. So, so you, let's pretend you were there, and, and you're identifying with Christ, and you're identifying with the church, and and whatever it is your craft is, maybe you're a blacksmith or something, and you go to the market, nobody wants to use you because you identify with the church or you identify with Christ. So they just shunned you, and this was having a bad effect on them. And the church at Corinth then was saying, listen, we're going to help you. And Paul is simply saying in these first few verses, you've promised the help. I'm sending the people to hold you accountable. Now give. And then he gives wonderful instructions on giving that you and I need to hear. Remember this, verse, verse 6 and following. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now there's some things that you and I need to hear from this, and then there's some things that we need to be aware of that are sometimes taught. What Paul is given here is he, he, he's given an agricultural proverb or an agricultural truth. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that, that, that he who reaps sparingly will, I mean, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. That's just a simple truth. Okay? Those of you who have planted a garden, I have never been successful at that, and I want to try it so bad. Uh, I grew, I planted tomatoes last year. I had one tomato that grew, and then it, it did what tomatoes, it just rotted. And I, I, I didn't even get to eat the, the thing. 
okay? But those of you who, who understand this stuff, you, you, you'll be able to, to relate. If you want to grow 150 rows of green beans, then you have to plant seeds for 150 rows of green beans. This isn't an empty promise that Paul has given them. This is a simple truth about agriculture. If, if, if you live in, in a city and, and you don't want 150 rows of green beans, you want less, plant less. If you want more, plant more. He who sows, sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, he who sows abundantly will reap more. Paul is simply giving an absolute agricultural truth. Now sometimes though, and then by the way it goes on and says, and God loves a cheerful giver. Sometimes we hear this verse totally mistaught. And, and, and I want to I clarify what this verse is not saying, what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not in any way saying that we can manipulate God by how much money we give or how much money we don't give. Paul is not saying that. Unfortunately, there, there, there's a movement in America that is going throughout America and it's, it's reaching deep into third world countries in a very unfortunate way. And that is that essentially if you want health, wealth, and prosperity, give more, more, and more. And unfortunately, there are people in, in third world countries, there are probably people in America too, that are going broke, giving, thinking that they're going to manipulate God. In other words, if you want to be a millionaire, then you need to give, I'll just make up numbers, okay? If you want $10 million in your bank account, then you need to give a million. If you want 500000 in your bank account, then you need to give this amount. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is a principle, okay? It's a truth. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow abundantly, reap abundantly. The results are up to God. So what do you have to do? We have to decide in our heart what we're going to do. And then act on that. And leave the rest to God. We're going to look at the, the remainder of that. But let me, let me give you just a, a three, four principles from this. I've already mentioned two of them. First of all, we're to decide in our heart what we're going to give. Secondly, we're to give it. Third, that we're to leave the results totally up to God. And then we're to understand that He is able to handle our gift. That's what Paul is telling them. That's the coaching that Paul is giving them. So he says, okay, look, y'all have made this commitment. I'm sending people to hold you accountable. I totally trust. I think it's unnecessary that I even do this. But just in case, I'm sending the people. That way when the Macedonians and myself come, you will be ready. And there won't be any embarrassment. And you're going to meet their needs. And then here's the principles. And then look at the last, the last part there, verse 10 and following. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is, is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. They will glorify God for your for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. And they will have deep affection for you in their prayers and on your behalf because of, your, because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. So Paul's telling them, guys, y'all have made this commitment, keep it. Here, here's the guidelines. God loves a cheerful giver. Decide in your heart 
decide in your heart what you're going to do. Give it and trust the rest up to God. And then he goes on to say, listen, what you have is because God's given it to you. And as you share what you have, it affects other people and it blesses other people. And the blessing and the honor and the glory comes right back to God. I want you to hear this. What you have today, every last person in this room, what you have today is because God has given it to you. Don't hoard it. There may be some people in here today or, or watching on the internet or watching on TV that might say, hey, hey, hold on, Craig, you need to tap the brakes. I started with nothing, and what I have is because of what I've done. There may be some truth to that. You've been diligent. You've done what you needed to do. But what you have is because God has given it to you. I have a family member. I've shared a lot about him. He's, he's, he's passed away now. Everything he had, everything he touched turned to gold. And he started with borrowing $100. And at the time of his death, he was, he was a millionaire several times over. And if you ever talked to him, he would be glad to tell you that it was all because of what he did. There, he, had, he had no use for God. It was just, I did this. And he would tell you that. And unfortunately, one day when he breathed his last, he stepped in, into eternity and I'm going to assume that he learned that it wasn't all his doing. It was God's blessing. Whether or not my family member was a Christian or not, I, I cannot tell you. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that he quickly learned that what he had was because of God's blessing. Now, I want to get to the main point today. The main point is this. Today matters, so be generous and be thankful. It's real simple. Today matters, y'all. We don't have, yesterday's gone, we're not promised tomorrow. And besides that, think about this. Is there any way that you can be generous yesterday? No. You can't go back. This isn't, this isn't tax law where you can change the date and get credit for it on your income taxes. This is reality. You cannot be generous yesterday because yesterday's gone. And tomorrow may or may not come. So, so, be generous and be thankful today. And by the way, if tomorrow gets here, if Monday becomes today, be generous and be thankful. If Wednesday becomes today, be generous and be thankful. This is a, a continual thing. Be generous and be thankful. God has blessed you. So I want to answer some questions. Some practical things, okay? How can we be generous? Pastors who talk about money. In fact, I'm fixing to talk about money so y'all can go ahead and get your mean looks out and you can start tapping your watch or checking your voicemail, hoping somebody calls so that you can leave or something like that. But for just a few minutes, I'm going to talk about this, okay? Number one, you can be generous with your tithes and your offerings. Let me explain that to you. And, 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 and I see that we have some guests today and and, and there's people watching on TV and, and on the Internet that, that may or may not understand this. When, when I stand up here and I ask you to be generous with your tithes and offerings, I want, you, I want to be clear. Your tithes and offering helps, it does, it pays your church's staff's salary, okay? That's not why I'm asking you to do that. Today, if over the next year we, we, we bring in $100 billion, my salary is still going to be what my salary is. But when we're generous to our church, y'all, it opens opportunities for us to minister. 
you may or may not know that because of your generosity to our church, we support a food bank that's right down here at the end of the, at the, on the corner. And over this last year, I don't have exact numbers, but over this last year, we have literally fed hundreds of people who have come in and we don't ask questions, we don't make judgments or anything like that. They can show up in a brand new Yukon or they can show up in a 1974 Volkswagen Dasher. We do not ask any questions, we simply give them food. And over this past year, we fed into the hundreds of family members. This year, we, we, we sent children to children's camp. We did vacation Bible school, and we had hundreds, or over the week, we had hundreds of kids come through here and, 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 and learn about Christ, and, and some even gave their life to Christ. We have, we have students who got to go to, to Falls Creek and participate in, in youth camp where they heard about Christ. There's a church right now in Atlanta that is meeting, and we help pay that pastor's salary, and we help fund the, the cost of that church because of your generosity. And so one way you can be generous is to commit to tithe and to give. Guests, today is one day a year we do this. And as soon as this service is over, we're going to have a three-minute business meeting, and it won't go any longer than that. And we're going to vote on our budget. So guests, I just want you to, to know that that, that, that that happens today. We're going to vote to approve a, a $590,000 budget. And as a church, we're dependent on our church's generosity to meet that so that we can continue to be a light to this community. Generosity in your tithes and giving. Another one is, is by helping those around you in need. How can we help, around in, uh, help those around us with, in need with our time for one thing? You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that we're going to be putting together a parade float. The parade float is, is beautiful. It, it's coming along, but we need people's time to help paint and that kind of stuff. We need people to give of their time on November 30th to walk alongside of the parade float as we go down the route and we hand out candy and all that kind of stuff. All that is doing is showing this community that our church cares. Maybe you can help with your other resources. I, I have a friend that I heard him say this. It was really funny, and, and, and I, I just loved it. He was talking to a person who called him and said, hey, I need a job. And, and he says, I'm sorry, I, I, don't have any, I don't have any openings or anything like that. And then he said this. He said, but what I do have is I have a, a refrigerator with food in it, and I have a place if you need a place to stay. That's helping with your resources. Another thing is you can lend people your ears. Now that sounds goofy. In fact, you get people looking up at me like, yeah, that is goofy. People need to know that they have brothers and sisters that will listen to them. You know, I was thinking about this point, and the way we listen has made a terrible change for the worse. You see, because how we listen these days is we have phones in our hands. I have visited with several people over the, the year, last couple years, and I'm going to sit down. I don't mean any disrespect to anyone if y'all don't like this. As I'm visiting with them, this is how they, can y'all see me? I hope you can. This is how they listen to me. We'll be talking about whatever need they have, and they can't even pay attention because they're doing this constantly. Then some of them are kind of crafty, and they'll set it here to the side, and this is how they listen. Y'all, that's not listening. People need to know that you hear them. And so sometimes we need to just sit down and say, you know what? 
you have my undivided attention. There's nothing that's going to happen on my phone. There's nothing that's going to happen on ESPN. There's nothing that's going to happen on days of our lives that's going to keep me from listening to you. We need to practice that. We need to be thankful. And there's a couple ways that we can be thankful. We need to take time to give thanks. Literally take time to give thanks. Not just Thanksgiving. It's kind of funny because Thanksgiving's here every year and sometimes people think that that's the only time we need to give, thank, give thanks. No, we need to be thankful every day. One way that we can do that is to keep a thankful journal. I have one sitting by my, my chair in my office and every now and then something will come across my mind and I'm like, you know what? I am so thankful for that and I'll pick up my journal and I'll write the date and I'll write what it is. Today I'm so thankful that Roberta's my wife. Today, I'm so thankful that my son called to tell me happy birthday. Or that, keep a thankful journal. Now, let me give you some practical, uh, some uh, truths about this. Truth number one, generosity is reflective of thankfulness. Generosity is reflective of thankfulness. And I also want you to know, though, this is a two-sided coin. Generosity is, is reflective of thankfulness, and thankfulness is reflective of generosity. It's two-sided. When I was probably nine years old, I walked into the kitchen one day, and growing up, we were not poor, but we were by no means rich. Uh, we, we, we made do. My dad had 14, uh, four uh, boys, and he worked for $13 an hour at Montgomery Wards. And, and things were expensive and all that kind of stuff. And I, I walked into the kitchen one day, and my mom was sitting on the floor crying. As a nine-year-old, that got my attention. And I went over there, and I realized why we never went without a meal, Okay, I don't want anyone to think that. Never went without a meal. And by the way, if we did, my next-door neighbor was so generous, she would have fed us. That's another practical application of generosity. Jerry Hewitt, still, still a wonderful friend of my family. She would have fed us, but, but we, didn't, we didn't do that. We didn't have to do that. And I walked into the kitchen, and there was Mom sitting on the floor crying. And I looked, and while we didn't have an abundance of everything, there was days that, that we ate what was in the house and hoped we got groceries the next day. And I walked in there, and there was my mom had made some sort of hamburger dish. And I walked there, and when she pulled it out of the oven, she had spilled it all over the floor. And all she could do was cry. I remember walking up there and seeing that, and we implemented the five-second rule, and, and by the time we were through, it might have been close to the 30-minute rule. But we picked all of that up. We served it on the table. I've never told my brothers that, and I, I don't know that my dad even knows. But here's how that affected me. I have never once wanted somebody to walk into their kitchen and see their mom crying because she dropped their meal. And so how has that affected me? Well, there's people who've been a blessing to us, and I want to be a blessing to people. And I don't share this for any kind of credit, and if you don't remember it, that's beautiful. But Roberta and I, when we're in the grocery store and someone behind us doesn't have enough money, we'll cover it. We, we, we give away gift cards. We buy groceries for people. Because I've been on the other end. I've been on the end where you're like, man, that's dinner. They're on the floor. And we don't want people to experience that. By the same token, people have been so generous to us. And their generosity makes me thankful. This church, you folks, y'all have been so generous to Roberta and I. And I thank y'all. I think, thank y'all. I thank God for y'all absolutely all the time. Generosity is reflective of thanks, thankfulness. And thankfulness is reflective of generosity. Let me give you another truth. 
This is where I might step on some toes. I don't mean to. Generosity with strings attached is not generosity, it's manipulation. I've told y'all this story before, true story, at a church that I served at. This happened before I ever got there. But, but at this church, they were doing a renovation, and if you gave enough money, they'd put your name on the end of a pew. Okay? Just so you know, we will not do that here. Okay? Because here's why. This one person wanted to make sure everybody knew his generosity, and so he gave plenty of money, and there on the end of the pew was his name. And it wasn't generosity, it was manipulation because what he did is he took ownership of that pew. And if he didn't want you sitting on his pew, he would tell you. There were times, and again, this happened before I ever got there, but there was times he would walk up to people and say, hey, did you happen to see whose name's on the end of the pew there? This is my row. He said that to guests one time. The guests got up and left. Y'all, that's not generosity that's manipulation. If I gave, if I gave my son a, a truck and I said, all right, he, here's your brand new truck. It has everything you've ever wanted on it. And I said, as I'm handing the keys, and I said, but I need you to mow my yard every single week. I need you to clean the house. I need you to do the dishes, take out the trash. I need you to buff my feet, buff my car, whatever. All these different things. If I said all that, that's not generosity. That's a salary. At best, and then it's, a, it's manipulation outside of that. I've, I've, I've experienced generosity in my life when I, when I started working on my doctorate at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, one of my friends came to me and said, Craig, you're not going to have to pay for a single book. Whatever book you want, whatever books you need, I will buy all of them. Y'all, that's a lot of money because it's a lot of money. And I remember being a man, and, and men, most of y'all be able to relate to me on this one. You know, it doesn't necessarily feel right just getting something free. And so I would do things, and, and I'd go, and, and I'd mow the office and all that, but he, wouldn't, he was not going to let me take away any of his generosity. So I would mow his, his office yard, and then he'd pay me way too much to do that. I think in the back of his mind, he was saying, Craig, you are not going to take away from my generosity. What an incredible blessing. That's truly generosity with no strings attached. Let me give you one final truth. Thankfulness with ifs and buts is not thankfulness, it's complaining. You ever thought about that? Oh God, I am so thankful for my house if it only had two more rooms. God, I'm so thankful for my Corvette. If I only had one. If it only had leather seats. Y'all, that's not being thankful. That's complaining. I, I absolutely love the Peyton Manning, Brad Paisley commercials uh, with Nationwide. And my favorite one is one where uh, Brad Paisley is there. And, and I'm going to embarrass myself, but, but he sings. He says, you know, Nationwide is on your side. Okay, y'all know why I don't sing. Those of you who are musically gifted are really laughing at me, not with me. Uh, and then Peyton Manning says, we're almost there. On the jingle, though, Brad, I want you to feel it right here. And Brad Paisley looks at him, in my chest? And Peyton Manning says, no, Brad, in your heart. Feel it in your heart. And then he, got, then he hums it. As he hums it, then Peyton Manning goes, yes! That's close. 
And he goes, yeah, but we've almost got it, right? We're almost there? He goes, well, basically, we got it. Almost. Basically, almost, but you're doing great. Here's why I love that commercial, and this is why I'm using it right here. Peyton Manning comes up with five different ways to tell Brad Paisley that he's wrong, but he doesn't use those words. Folks, we have so many different ways of telling God. We have so many different ways of complaining to God under, under the disguise of being thankful. And I just want to be clear. Thankfulness with ifs and buts is not thankfulness. It's complaining. Instead of saying, God, I'm so thankful for my house if it only had two more bedrooms. What you're really saying is, God, I don't like my house that you've given me. God, instead of this truck that gets me to and from work, I'm not thankful for that. I want a different one. Oh, I love that truck if it only had air conditioning. Well, no, you don't love your truck. Thankfulness with ifs and buts attached is not thankfulness. It's complaining. So as I kind of bring this to a close day, I want to ask you a question. And this is between you and God. It's not between me or anyone else. It's between you and God. How are you on your generosity? How are you on your thankfulness? Man, I'm going to tell you something right now. These are two areas that, that, that just like everybody else, I struggle with. I, I am a very thankful person. But sometimes my thankfulness has ifs and buts. I try to be a very generous person, but sometimes my generosity has strings attached. And God is just saying, Craig, just be generous. Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth about the, the need of the Macedonian Christians, he says, decide in your heart what you're going to do and do it. God loves a cheerful giver. So what about you? In just a second, the band's going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation. And I totally understand that this is a message where maybe there's not going to be a public response. But maybe right where you're sitting, you need to bow your head and say, God, man, I, I'm the greedy guy that Craig described at the first. Or maybe you need to say, God, every time I give, there's strings attached. And God, I'm not really thankful. I'm full of complaining. And maybe in this time of invitation, just right where you are, you need to sit there and say, God, I'm sorry, and I want to get it right. Maybe you need to come down here and let me or one of our staff members, which will be right over here, pray with you. There's other decisions that could be made. Maybe you want to join our church today, or maybe you want to give your life to Christ. If that's the urging that you're experiencing right now, let me assure you that's God working on you, because that's not the kind of message I've preached this morning. I don't know how God would have you to respond. But what I do know is that just a couple of minutes, when we walk through those double doors at the back, I want you to leave here knowing that you've been obedient. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us just to take an inventory of our life, God. Especially those of us who, who are adults, God. So, so many times... The, the, the older we get or, or, or the wiser we get, the more we grow and progress, the, the tighter we hold on to things. Sometimes the older we get, the less thankful we become and we ultimately begin thinking that people owe us stuff. I pray, God, that in this time of invitation, each one of us would take an inventory of our life and, and look at that. 
And I pray, Lord, that those who need to would just make a commitment today that they're going to be generous. They're going to support their church. They're going to support those around them in need in however ways they can. Maybe some need to commit to be more thankful. Maybe more thankful and less complaining. Father God, however you would move during this time of invitation, I ask, Lord, that each person here today, each person watching on the live stream or those watching on TV, God, that in this time of, of invitation, Lord, that they would respond to you in obedience. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand?